We're looking here in John chapter 8, the Lord's teaching here in the temple at the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a portion of scripture where the Lord is going to make very clear that everybody belongs to one of two families. Everybody's either from the family of God or from the family of the devil. And of course, the vast majority of men in the world like to think very highly of themselves, so they think they're the family of God, but Christ is going to say how you can make that for certain. He's going to make it very clear who belongs to which family. John chapter 8, verse 37. Christ says, I know that you are Abraham's offspring, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father, therefore you also do the things which you have heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we are not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth from, uh, proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father, but he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful again for the opportunity to gather together this morning and to hear from your word. And we do pray your uh, direction and your clarity to our minds that we might think uh, deeply on the the words that you have uh, left for us, penned through John, through the power of the the Holy Spirit. Help us to understand the teaching of Christ here in this section. Uh, We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, again, if you've been been with us uh, for any time now, you understand that we are deliberately working our way uh, through this portion of Scripture here in uh, John 8. And and we're looking at the things that the Lord himself, who is the light of the world, has revealed to those who sit in darkness. That would be the religious uh, professors, if you will. Uh, These uh, religious leaders of Israel, they think very highly of themselves, uh, but they don't know the truth. In, In fact, they are opposed to the truth. Rejecting again, over and over again, the words of the Savior whom God sent into this world to free men from condemnation, to free men from the slavery uh, that they are under to um, sin, to Satan, and to death itself. And then in this discourse, the Lord has been saying some very difficult truths that these men need to hear because it is the truth. Now, we realize uh, that we live in a world around us that has in large part abandoned the truth. We really live in a post-truth world, really. Uh, We live in a delusional world. Uh, We live in a world where we are told uh, that men can have babies. Uh, We are told that a man who thinks he's a woman is now to be called the first four-star female admiral in the United States Public Health Service Commission Corps. And what you have to understand is we live in a time where depravity has taken over. The mind no longer works properly. We live in a time where most perversions are acceptable. Therefore, lies have become more useful and more important and more in demand than the truth because men fight against the truth and they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And again, in a post-truth world, uh, the world lives in a basic insanity at a variety of different levels. It is an utterly insane and irrational time uh, where men make up things as they go along. Uh, it's a world made up by the fallen mind of fallen men. But the truth is, the true truth is, we live in a universe that is, uh, actually operates on a fixed set of rules and standards. We live in a universe that actually is governed by true science, the laws of nature, uh, physical laws that are unchanging, that can be tested, I've told you this before, it doesn't matter one whit if you do not believe in gravity. Just jump off a building and gravity still works. Because you don't get to make up your own individual reality. None of us do. 
We live in a world that's set on fixed standards, and we live in a world where people depend on the truth. The engineer who built your airplane that you're flying in, the pilots who fly them, people like you and me who are sitting in the back of the airplane, to us, truth matters. When you go to see your doctor, or more especially your heart surgeon or your brain surgeon, you want that person to deal with you in the truth. Same thing with a pharmacist. Right? You want the truth from the pharmacist. You want the real thing. Or, or you go before a judge. Because God has placed us in a truthful world, and he's placed us in a world that is a cause and effect world that he governs. And the same thing is true on a spiritual level. The spiritual world operates on a fixed set of rules also. Rule number one, you might want to write these down. Number, rule number one, God is in charge. And he sets all the rules. Rule number two, the wages of sin is death. Now, in the physical realm, the results of violating the truth or violating God's law are uh, immediate. Again, you jump off a 10-story building and you'll come in contact with that reality very soon. On a spiritual level, however, uh, the consequences for violating God's truth are still there, except sometimes it takes longer to see the results of violating God's truth. For instance, you can live as a homosexual for 30 years and insulate yourself from the reality of what God says to be true about that sin and that lifestyle, that it is an abomination before him, Leviticus 18.22. You can reject his law, you can reject his truth, and in the end you will still die and you will face him in judgment. Because again, the truth is the wages of sin is death, and God is the supreme authority, and God himself sets all of the rules. But again, in an irrationality of unbelief and the hatred for truth that is part of the world in which we now find ourselves in, where people think they can get away with sin and people think they can get away with evil behavior, they think they can live lives that are full of lies and deception and then declare their own reality where every man does what is right in his or her own eyes with absolutely no consequences. But I'm here to tell you that's not the truth. That's a lie. And not only has the world abandoned the truth, but much of the so-called quote-unquote church is on that very same train abandoning the truth. Because when the truth is presented, the world rejects that truth, and therefore the much of the church says, well, if we're going to present truth, we need to be nice. If we want the world, the unbelieving world, to accept the message. So again, much of the church has convinced themselves that the only way the world can like them, the only way the world's ever going to hear their message is if they are nice and never confrontational. But you will notice as we work our way through the text, that was not the methodology of Jesus. That's not what he does. He was often confrontational. Because he's more concerned about the truth than he is about being perceived as nice. Now he's been confronting the religious leaders here in the temple throughout the entire discourse. And he's not let up on them one bit. He repeatedly told them the truth. Truth they don't want to listen to. Truth they don't want to receive. The fact that he was sent from God the Father and he only spoke what the Father told him. The Father's truth. The fact that unless these religious leaders in front of him would humble themselves, bow their knee and believe the reality of who Jesus really is, they would face eternal punishment. Jesus told them, for unless you believe that I am... You shall die in your sin. The fact, the truth, that he is the light of the world, again, an unmistakable claim to deity, a a claim to be the promised Messiah, the the Savior of the world, and and yet these men rejected him. And the rejection of him was inexcusable based on all the evidence that they witnessed. Yet these men chose to reject the truth. Pride of intellect, pride of thinking they did not need a Savior because they were so righteous, they were so religious in and of themselves. So in this portion of scripture that we're going to look at this morning, Jesus confronts these false religious leaders very harshly because Jesus is much more concerned about the truth and their eternal souls than he is about being perceived as nice. So Jesus is very straightforward and very bluntly tells them again, there are only two kinds of people in the world. There are only two families in this world. You are either of God or you are of the devil. You're either saved or you are perishing. Now, the stakes are high. 
And the eternal destiny of men depends upon what they do with that truth. And in this portion of Scripture, uh, Jesus is going to tell these religious leaders the truth that you are of your father, the devil. Now, that's pretty harsh for the religious leaders who think very highly of themselves to accept. It's a very direct, confrontational approach taken by Jesus. And again, most certainly in the context of the day we live in and much of so-called evangelicalism today, it wouldn't be considered very nice. But nevertheless, it's the truth. It's the truth because it comes from the truth incarnate. It's the truth because it came from the one who only spoke the truth, that being the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we need to be concerned ultimately about the truth because Christ is concerned ultimately about the truth. And Jesus is going to tell these religious leaders in front of him the truth. And again, he keeps telling them difficult things uh, to hear. But listen, it's the truth. Verse 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. It's only the truth that can set you free from error. It's only the truth that can save you. It's only the truth that can set you free from sin and death. Therefore, sin has to be confronted. Truth has to be elevated. Right? Sin has to be confronted, error exposed, and truth has to be elevated. Now, before we start looking into verse 37, just go back a little bit. Let's just start in verse 30, because I always like to get a little bit of a running start. So look at the previous section. Verse 30. As he spoke these things, the whole discourse there starting in chapter 8, as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. We talked about this verse numerous times. It really is a false faith. It's an unbelieving belief. It is an intellectual assent to some of what Jesus has been saying, but these people certainly are not prepared to yield to Christ the uh, far-reaching allegiance that real trust, real saving faith demands. Verse 31, Jesus therefore was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine. I, I told you that's the benchmark, if you will. That's, that's the standard. That's what distinguishes true faith, uh, faith from false faith. Those who are true followers of Christ, truly his disciples, those who have true saving faith are word-oriented people. They started with the word. The word of God that told them of the holiness of God. The word of God that told them, them, of, them uh, of their own sinfulness. The word of God that told them of their desperate condition before this holy God. Their desperate need of a substitute of Christ as the only means of reconciliation. The word that told them of Christ's substitutionary death and resurrection from the dead. Therefore, those who have a true saving faith, they continue in the word. They continue in God's word. They remain there. They hold on to it. They are obedient to the world, to the word. They hold on tightly to the gospel, the word of truth, the word that Christ has come to proclaim. If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. So those who hold fast to truth, those who persevere, they'll never have to worry about being lost. Verse 32, Christ says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Now, to know the truth is something more definitive than just knowing what is true. The devil himself knows what is true, but to know the truth is something more definitive than just knowing the truth. Uh, it's to know something more with ju- than just an intellectual assent. To know the truth that sets you free is to understand the revelation of God regarding the means of salvation through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and through him alone. And by that truth, a person is transformed, changed inside out, internally changed by that truth, now a new creation in Christ. So the one who again abides in or holds on to Christ's truth knows the truth, and the truth shall make that person free. Now again, stop and realize that the natural man hates the very idea that he is in bondage. He's not open to a message for someone saying, I'm going to come and set you free, because he doesn't like to think that he's in bondage. But that's the reality of every man's position before they come to genuine faith in Christ. They're in bondage. Bondage to sin, bondage to Satan, bondage under the fear of death. Destitute of righteousness and goodness, unclean before God, lacking wisdom, in foolishness, in rebellion, without strength, unable to do anything good for and of themselves, uh, therefore destitute of freedom. 
in a state of spiritual bondage, slaves to corruption, as it says in 2 Peter 2.19. So the natural man, uh, apart from Christ, is in a far worse condition than they imagine and a far worse condition than the average preacher or Sunday school teacher uh, would proclaim to them. The natural man is completely under the dominion of sin. Totally depraved, a fallen creature, no soundness in him from, from the soul uh, to the head, as it says in Isaiah chapter 1. Completely under the dominion of sin, taken captive by the devil to do his will, as it says in Second Timothy chapter 2. Walking according to, the prince, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, Ephesians chapter 2, fulfilling the lust of his father, the devil, John 8, completely dominated by Satan's power, Colossians 1. And there's nothing that a natural man can do in that condition to deliver himself except submit himself to the truth, to the word of God. Jesus again says, verse 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Again, that's a statement of reality. The natural man is in bondage, but the natural man can't tolerate that truth. He hates to hear that truth. He hates to hear the truth that Jesus has come into the world to save him, to free him from sin, to free him from his bondage to Satan. The natural man doesn't think that way about himself. Again, the natural man thinks he's good in and of himself. And when confronted with the truth that there's nothing good in and of themselves, the natural man rejects that truth. Natural man can't even receive God's truth. The natural man can't believe on his own. The natural man can't please God at any level. The, the natural man can't even come to Christ on his own. On his own, right? And you, so you tell a man that reality, uh, that uh, this is the truth before God, and he'll hate you for that. He, he'll indignantly deny your assertion. And that's effectively what you see in the text. You shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free. Verse 33, they answered him, we are of Abraham's offspring, and we've never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you shall become free? So the Jewish religious leaders in front of Christ, they immediately bristle at the thought that they had ever been enslaved to anyone. Now, as I told you before, that's a remarkable statement, just in light of the fact, historically, They've already been enslaved by Egypt, Syria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Syria, and now they're under Roman occupation. We are of Abraham's offspring, and you've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it you you say you shall become free? One writer puts it like this. He said, it's the height of absurdity to manifest, and a manifest departure from the truth for them to affirm that the seed of Abraham had never been in bondage. Well, there's nothing new under the sun, right? I mean, we, we stand amazed at the insanity of the day in which we live in, but people deny the truth all the time. Depravity has always been there. A mind that does not work properly has always been a part of the, uh, of the makeup of uh, humanity. But the kind of freedom that Christ is really talking about is spiritual freedom, verse 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. And this is the issue. This is the issue. Everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Well, let me ask you a question. Who commits sin? Answer, everyone. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good, not even one. The Bible says every single human being ever born is guilty. That every man needs a Savior. John says it like this in 1 John 5. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So you've got these religious leaders of Israel in front of Jesus, and they say, we are of Abraham's offspring. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we shall become free? I mean, we are religious. What's your issue? We are the teachers. We are the physical descendants of Abraham. And that alone makes us right before God. That's what they believed. They're exactly what Paul said of them, Romans 10 and 3, for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. They just made up their own religious system and said, if we do these things or don't do these things, then we're good with God. That's what most fallen men do. Now, the description here 
is again not only are these religious leaders in the text, but again it's a modern affirmation of the man who still has not repented and come to faith in Christ. It's a modern affirmation of the man who's still unregenerate. Again, the natural man who boasts of his freedom. The natural man says, I'm not a sinner. I don't need a Savior. Why have the vast majority of people not come to faith in Christ? Answer, because they don't see themselves as one who needs a Savior. I'm good. Despite the reality of the wages of sin is death, I've done a number of funerals. Last time I looked, statistic is one out of one people dying. Oh, not me. That'll never happen to me. That's the insanity of a fallen man, a fallen mind. The position of these religious leaders is really the position of all men that are unregenerate, the position of countless number of people who are, in fact, religious. The religious people are a problem. All these people in the text are a problem who are religious, but the religious people in general, just in the world in which we live, they're a problem. It doesn't matter how they identify themselves, the Roman Catholic, the, the Mormon, Jehovah's Witnesses, those that are caught up in Islam, the liberal versions of Christianity, or even more, cons- or more conservative groups of Christianity. It doesn't matter what the person identifies themselves with or how they call themselves. If they're identified with Lutheranism or Presbyterianism or Baptist or Methodist or whatever, it's irrelevant. The issue is that a man who attempts to establish his own righteousness apart from the righteousness provided solely through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, that person has been deceived and that person is still enslaved to sin. That's the issue. It's the sin of rejecting God's only offer of hope and help through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, because Romans 8 and 24 is still the standard. God's truth is still the standard. It goes out to these men who are listening to Christ, they're teaching the temple, and it goes out to all men as a proclamation of God's eternal truth. You shall die in your sin, for unless you believe that I am, you shall die in your sin. Unless you believe the truth about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is God incarnate, the Savior of the world, your only hope, your only source of righteousness to stand in the presence of a holy God, then you shall die in your sin. That is true truth. Again, verse 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. So again, Christ is telling these religious individuals they're no exception to the rule. Everyone who commits sin and commits is a present active participle. Everyone who is presently and actively committing sin is a slave of sin. And again, these religious leaders in the context were guilty of presently and actively rejecting the Messiah. Rejecting the Christ, Jesus, who is standing right in their very presence. They are presently and actively guilty of living in and promoting a false religious system that could do nothing except damn the soul eternally for those who followed in that system. Because it was a system based on their own righteousness, which no man has any in and of himself. It's a system full of hypocrisy and lawlessness, a system that, if followed, would take those who follow that system towards eternal condemnation and the eternal sentence of hell. That's the truth. And Jesus, in the context of the story in the temple, is offering these religious leaders freedom. Freedom from the bondage and lies of their system. Freedom from the deception of Satan that has uh, trapped them in this false system. A freedom from their own love of their own sin that also had them trapped. Verse 35, and a slave does not remain in a house forever. A son does remain forever. And again, this is really kindness. This is kindness, the kindness of Christ. He's warning these religious leaders they're not exactly who they think they are. They've been deceived into thinking that they're the sons of God, when in reality they're the slaves of sin, not sons. In danger of being eternally cast from God's presence to a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because, again, it's only those who repent and place their faith in Christ that are truly sons of God. Verse 36, if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Again, it's only the Lord Jesus Christ that sets men free from sin. The Son, in the context of verse 36, is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So, again, the only way for freedom, the only way to get out of the tyranny of sin and the dominion of Satan, is repentance and faith in Christ. That's the message of deliverance and hope that God the Father sent Christ Jesus into the world to preach to the captives. 
That would be all of humanity. To set men free. Freedom from condemnation. Freedom from the penalty of the law. Freedom from the wrath of God to come. Freedom from bondage to sin and Satan. And listen, freedom from the fear of men. Because a man or a woman who has been freed by the person of Jesus Christ only wants to honor God. He only wants to honor Christ. They've stopped thinking long ago or caring about what other people think of them because of their association with Christ. They just want to please the Savior. Now verse 37. So here's Jesus. Again, he's in this continual conversation, and he's going to continue to refute the claims that these religious leaders are hiding behind thinking that they're headed for eternal life when, again, Jesus has repeatedly told them they're headed towards eternal condemnation. And Jesus is going to be very direct, very straightforward, very confrontational, not very nice. Why? Because the stakes are too high. And again, the Lord makes it very clear that everybody belongs to one of two families. You're either of the family of God or you are of the family of the devil. Verse 37. I know that you are Abraham's offspring, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. So again, the Jews make the claim that they're Abraham's offspring, Abraham's descendants, Abraham's seed. And Jesus affirms that to a certain level. He goes, I know that you're Abraham's offspring. I know your physical lineage. But physical lineage and religious heritage doesn't save anybody. Physical lineage... Religious heritage doesn't save anybody. It, I don't mean any disrespect, but it doesn't matter who your mom or dad was. It doesn't matter how outstanding they were in the church. It doesn't matter. That can't save anybody. Religious heritage, physical descendants, nationality even can't deal with the issue of sin. And people need to know that truth. People need to be confronted with that truth. Because only Jesus Christ can forgive sin. And it's only through the substitutionary death of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ that hell can be escaped. That's the truth. Within the system of Judaism, the rabbis actually taught this in Jewish literature. And I'm going to quote it for you. This is a quote. Abraham himself sits inside the gates of hell and doesn't permit any wicked Israelite to enter. Close quote. The Jewish religious leaders, the Jews, believed that just being Jewish kept you out of hell. And that's what Abraham's job was. He was to keep you out of hell. One of the early church fathers was a man named Justin Martyr, and he was in a discussion or an argument with a Jewish man who was called the Dialogue of Tripo. And the Jewish man says this, They who are the seed of Abraham, according to the flesh, shall in any case... Even, even if they be sinners and unbelieving and disobedient towards God, share in the eternal kingdom, close quote. So again, in their system, they taught, they wrote, they believed that just being Jewish was a free pass to do anything they wanted to. Because there's no way possible that they'd ever end up in hell because that's what Abraham did. He kept the Jews out of hell. But Jesus says, I go away and you shall seek me and you shall die in your sin for where I'm going, you're not going to come. You shall die in your sin for unless you believe that I am, you shall die in your sin. You've got man's truth and you've got God's truth. You've got man's opinion. There's all kinds of opinions. Man, my goodness, look at all the blogs and uh, Twitter things or tweeter things or whatever they are. All People all, I want you to know my opinion. Right? Isn't that the world we live in? Why? Because I'm so important. Now, I want to pause and say something before we move on, because I've made allusion to it a couple times. I've said a couple times that part of sharing the gospel with somebody, obviously, is you've got to share the truth. And niceness really isn't the standard. But I want to bring some balance to that, because sometimes people take me to the extremes. All right, so let me give you some balance to that. While you need to present the truth... You don't have to be brutal in sharing the truth. We need to present the truth because the truth sets people free. 
But it's not our delivery, it's not our argument that awakens the dead. It's the word of God through the person of the Holy Spirit who awakens the dead, right? We, we need to be truthful, not brutal. When we come with somebody or come across somebody who doesn't understand the truth, we've got to stop and ask ourselves, what did we believe the day before we were saved? And the answer is, not the truth. It's only God in his kindness that opened his mind to our truth. So share the truth. Be more concerned about truthfulness than niceness, but don't be brutal. People can't see what they can't see. You can't yell at a dead person to make them alive. You can't shove the word of God in their face if they are blind to the word of God. It's not going to help. All right? We need to present the word. We need to let the convicting, converting, convincing word word of God do its work in the hearts of men. But when the resistance piles up, when the pressure keeps being pushed back against us, we need to make sure that we're speaking the truth, we're speaking about the truth, proclaiming the truth, not running down some rabbit trail that a person wants to take us on because there are a lot of people who want to take you on rabbit trails when you start proclaiming the truth to them. That's how they divert away from it. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The only thing that is powerful enough to destroy the ideological fortresses that men build and hide behind is the Word of God, right? The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. So Jesus says, look, I know you're of Abraham's offsprings. I know you're his descendants, his seed. So he affirms that reality the Jewish people have come from the line of Abraham physically. But Jesus says, you know what, guys, there's a problem here. He says, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. So again, we're back to the issue of the word of God. We're back to the issue of the truth. My word has no place in, it, in you. It's interesting that little uh, phrase, no place, means to make room or advance, to go forward, proceed. Really no entrance. Interesting, no entrance. So what he's saying is to these Jews, they had heard what Christ had said, but they didn't hear. They'd heard the sound, but they didn't hear the words, or they didn't hear with understanding. My word has no place in you. My word has no entrance into you. Again, they didn't hear with words of understanding. They didn't hear with ears of understanding. Uh, they were like the seed. I talked about it a few weeks ago that fell behind the, beside the roadside in the parable of the sower, Matthew 13. Right? It fell under that hard soil and never penetrated. It couldn't enter. In contrast to the, the word of God that performs its works in those who believe, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. These guys heard but didn't hear. Jesus spoke the truth, but the truth made no progress. It didn't advance in them. The, the word stopped and didn't go any further. Now contrast that to Abraham. When Abraham heard the word of God, he believed. When Abraham heard the word of God, he believed, and he believed to such a degree that God counted it to him as righteousness. Therefore, it's impossible for these men to make any legitimate claims that Abraham is their father. They don't hear the word. Abraham heard the word and received it. Verse 38, I speak these things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. So Jesus is explaining to them the implication of their hard heart, the hard-heartedness of their heart, the realities of divine truth that he alone could reveal that they could not understand. And at the same time, he's trying to subtly move away from this issue of Abraham as their father to the reality is, listen, they have another father to whom they're listening. And the fact that there's an infinite gulf that separates these Jewish leaders from the person of Jesus Christ himself. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. I speak eternal doctrinal truths which I have seen with my father by whom I have been sent into the world to proclaim these truths. You, on the other hand, therefore you also do the things which you heard from your father. 
So again, Jesus has already furnished proof that these men who are of the physical lineage of Abraham certainly are not the children of God, nor the spiritual children of Abraham, because they want to murder him. They want to do the deeds of their father, the devil. The things that the devil presents to their minds. Verse 39, they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. So again, the statement is evidence of the fact that, again, they don't get it. They're not listening. They're not listening with ears of understanding. They don't understand. They don't understand the dire position that they're in, sitting, as one writer says, at the edge of hell. They are still affirming their religious heritage. They're still affirming their self-righteousness. They're still trusting in their physical lineage from Abraham for their salvation. They're still contrasting themselves with others around them whom they would consider heathen and outcast. We are of Abraham. And that's exactly like the man or the woman who's gone to church all of their life. They're religious. They've been baptized. They've served perhaps as a deacon or an elder. Never missed Sunday school. They have a form of godliness, but they know nothing about the manifestation of God's power in their life. Come to church all their lives, but they've never repented. They've never placed their faith solely and completely upon the person of Christ. They're trusting in their religious activities. Verse 39 continues, Jesus said to them, If you're of Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. So I guess the question would be, what are the deeds of Abraham? If we were to drop down to verse 56, you would see Christ say, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Romans 4 tells us that uh, Abraham is the father of those who believe. Abraham believed everything that God said, all that God said, and God counted to him again as righteousness, Genesis uh, uh, 15. Abraham believed the promises, the covenant promises uh, that God made to him in the Abrahamic covenant, the problem of the promise of land, seed, and a blessing, Genesis 12. And of that seed, it says in Galatians 3 and 16, that seed, the one that Abraham looked forward to, that seed that was symbolized by the ram that was caught in the thicket that would replace Isaac, that seed was the one true sacrifice, the replacement, the only one who could bring true substitutionary sacrificial atonement, and that seed was Christ. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and glad, but you fellows have rejected me. Remember again back in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 18, Abraham and Sarah, they're, they're at home. Uh, uh, some angels show up, and one of those angels shows up that shows up, turns out to be the pre-incarnate Christ. It's a Christophany. And what did Abraham do when the pre-incarnate Christ appeared? He received him. He received God who came to earth. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Abraham received me. He, you, you've rejected me. If you're of Abraham's children, then do the deeds of Abraham which is nothing but belief, uh, works of faith, obedience, faith in God, submission to his word, and again, reception of the Christ. But the truth is the word of God has no place in these individuals, these so-called religious leaders of Israel. These men who are trying to find favor or earn favor with God by their own self-righteous works, failing to follow Abraham's example, who was one who believed by faith alone. Just like the Word of God has no place in multitudes of religious individuals today, I did not write Matthew chapter 7, but I certainly have read it to you, where the Lord will stand in front of a group of people who think very highly of themselves, who have done many what they would consider good things in the name of the Lord, and the Lord will say, Depart from me, I never knew you. Trusting in their own righteousness, not trusting in the righteousness of Christ. If these individuals would have been truly of Abraham's children, they would have uh, believed God's word. They would have believed the truth. They would have believed in Christ by faith, and they would have received him. Verse 40. But as it is, you're seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. So again, why did the religious leaders hate him so much? Why did they reject him? Why did they want him dead? And again, Jesus gives the answer. He was someone who told them the truth. The truth that he heard from God. Again, the unsaved man, the natural man, doesn't want to hear the truth. Hates the truth, rejects the truth. 
He rejects and hates those who tell him the truth. They want truth tellers dead. That's been the history of, uh, of God's men before the church and throughout the church age. The unbeliever can't stand the truth. God says, messenger of the truth. The unbeliever can't stand the truth. The unbeliever rejects the truth. Therefore, unbelievers reject and murder God's ambassadors of the truth. And that's what these Jewish individuals have done. That's what their religious heritage was like throughout their history. They always murdered God's men. They murdered the prophets. They rejected the truth. They murdered the prophets. And in their place, they instituted their own religious system. Rejecting the truth, rejecting God's word. Again, verse 40, as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. So again, Jesus is exposing the reality they're not really of Abraham's spiritual children. They may have been descendants on a natural level, but at this moment, they're doing the deeds of their father. You are seeking to kill me. Again, not for any crime but simply because he spoke the truth. Simply because he confronted their error. Because he confronted their error, they did not want to hear, accept, or receive what he had to say. They plotted murder against a man who never harmed them. They plotted murder against a man who only told them the truth, a truth that they found unpalatable. And again, Abraham never did anything like this. Abraham readily received every communication from heaven towards him. Abraham never inflicted injury on any man. Abraham believed everything that God told him, and God counted to him as righteousness, even though Abraham only saw dimly the truth, the shadow of it. He looked forward to the promises that were not all fully fulfilled in his day, to the promise of a seed who would come through his loins, one who would be a blessing to the entire world. And that one whom Abraham only saw dimly was standing in these guys' very presence. The light of the world, the hope of the nations, God incarnate, the very Son of God himself. And these religious leaders can't see him. They won't see him. They don't receive him. In fact, they want to murder him. They want to do away with him. You are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God, but this Abraham did not do. So again, these men want to murder Christ, but Abraham was not a murderer. These men have rejected God incarnate, but but Abraham received and welcomed God into his home. These men have rejected the truth, but Abraham was a lover of the truth. These men disobeyed God repeatedly, have not trusted by faith alone, and Abraham believed God and trusted by faith only. Therefore, God counted Abraham as righteous, and these men are the exact opposite of Abraham. These men are unrighteous. Verse 41. You are doing the deeds of your father. Again, a very clear implication that neither is Abraham nor God their father. He'll say that reality to them very straightforwardly. Verse 44, that Satan is their father. Verse 41 continues. They said of him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Now, with that phrase, we were not born of fornication, many commentators have taken it to be some kind of disparaging, vicious remark towards Christ uh, with reference to um, the controversy surrounding his birth, implying that his birth, unlike their birth, was illegitimate. I know that's probably the popular opinion, and I guess that could be a possibility. But more than likely, in the context of what they're saying here, is when they said to him, we are not born of fornication, very simply, I think what they are saying to him is, we're not pagans. We're not heathen idolaters. We're not born of fornication. We have one father, even God, because connected with every false religious system in the ancient world, every false form of worship was always fornication. It was always sexual perversion, sexual sin, prostitution. It was everywhere. That's how people, quote-unquote, worshipped the deities. They, they engaged in temple prostitution. 
So when they said we're not born of fornication, in essence, they're saying, look, we're not idolaters. We're not involved in immorality or paganism. We're monotheists. We worship one God and one God only. We have one father, even God. Uh, Judaism is the only true religion in the world. Uh, Abraham's our father. We follow him because he followed God, and we follow him as he followed God. So how can you say Abraham is not our father? Because we believe just like Abraham believed. That's, in essence, what I think he's saying. And Jesus says, well, you know what? That's really not true. Verse 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. So again, Jesus is attacking their false confidence in their religious heritage. Because as long as they place their trust in these false hopes, they are doomed and damned eternally. And the validity of someone's claim that they are a true follower of God comes down to two things. It comes down to their love for the word of God and it comes down to their love for his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. Again, Christ revealing the truth that their claim on God is not valid because they weren't really children of God. If they were children of God, then they would love God's only begotten son the one who's the image of the invisible God, the one who's the brightness of God's glory, the one who's the expressed image of his person. But they hated him. They rejected him. Because the truth is, they're still slaves to sin. And Christ and his word really have no place in them. Again, they want to murder him. Therefore, their boast to be followers of God is really an empty one. Their claim is utterly unfounded. J.C. Rowling, his commentary says this, is let, let us note carefully the great principle contained in the sentence. He says this, Love to Christ is the infallible mark of all true children of God. Would we know whether we are born again, whether we are children of God? There's one simple way of finding out. Do you love Christ? If not... It is vain and idle to talk of God as our Father and ourselves as God's children. No love to Christ, no sonship to God, end quote. Do you love Christ? Going to church isn't the issue. Being religious doesn't matter. Again, no disrespect, but your parents aren't on the table. Being baptized isn't the ultimate issue. Unless you love Christ and you love Christ preeminently, you have no right to call yourself or to call God your Father. Because it's only those who have been born again, those who have truly been transformed, who can truly love the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, you can always tell those who are true followers of God because they love his word and they love his son. Amen? They love his word. They come back every week and listen to the same guy tell them the same thing over and over again because you want to listen to the word of God because you love the word of God and you come and you want to be with Christ's people because Christ set you free and you love Christ who has changed your life and placed you into the body of Christ. The true follower of God loves the word of God and they love his son. They love Christ. Paul says, 1 Corinthians sixteen twenty two: if anyone does not love the Lord, let him be damned. We've got to get to the issue with people. I'm religious. Talk to a guy the other day who's telling me that, and I go to church. Well, I don't go to church, but I, I believe in God. That's good. devil believes in God. Do you love Christ? Do you love Christ? Verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God your, your Father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come in my own initiative, but he sent me. So again, Jesus is declaring to these Jews his own divine mission, his, his nature, his mission, the, the one who proceeded forth from the Father, who came from the Father, the eternal Son from the eternal Father, appointed by the Father, sent into the lost world with a message of hope, of redemption, of reconciliation, sent to secure also the eternal salvation of all who would believe, sent to secure the eternal salvation of all who have been called from eternity past. But the truth is the religious Jews don't love him. And again, they are giving proof that they're not from God, nor are they God's true children. Because those who are true followers of God will certainly love everything that comes from the one true God, especially his own dearly beloved Son. 
A true believer certainly cannot and will not reject the one who has proceeded forth and come from him. So in spite of their claim, there's really no validity to their claim. Their hatred for Christ, their hatred for the truth, their refusal to accept him, their refusal to humble themselves before him, to listen to him, to obey his word is abject evidence that their claim that God is their father is not a true claim. In fact, back in chapter 5, Jesus said, He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him, John 5 and 23. In John 15, 23, Christ says, He who hates me hates the Father also. Hypocritical religion always wants to shelter itself under the name of God. But John says, 1 John 2 and 23, Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. They come in a package, not to be uh, irreverent. But you've got to accept one and you've got to believe both. Verse 43, why do you not understand what I'm saying? Because you cannot hear my words. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? You can't hear my word. Uh, Paul said 1 Corinthians 2, uh, 14, a natural man doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. He can't understand them because they're spiritually discerned or spiritually appraised. The reason the so-called religious leaders who are before him don't understand what Christ is saying is they're lost. They're still dead in their trespasses and sins. They're still unrepentant sinners. They're unable and unwilling to listen to or hear the word of God. In their inability to understand what Christ was saying, their inability to hear the word of God proves that they are not God's children. Because Christ says in John 10 and 27, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. You can't hear my word. It's a Hebrew idiom. You can't hear my word, meaning with reference to receiving or believing, right? The, the reason the religious Jews could not hear Christ's word is because they have no ear for God, no heart for his word, no desire to learn his will. Again, proof positive that they're still dead in their trespasses and sins and they're not God's children. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? Because you cannot hear my word. Verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. That's pretty straightforward. It's pretty plain language. It's like throwing a bomb in the room, right? You're of your father, the devil. Now, they claim that God was their father. They claim that Abraham was their spiritual father. But the reality is the truth teller says their father was the devil, Satan himself. You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. It's an interesting statement. You want to do the desires of your father. Which tells us that sinners are not victims. Those who reject God, those who reject dependency uh, dependency upon God, those who want to live their lives outside the lordship of Jesus Christ, those who reject the truth, they love darkness rather than light. They love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Now it is true that Satan has blinded their minds. He directs their walk and their will to do his evil pleasure. But again, those who reject Christ, those who reject God's words, aren't victim victims. They are willful participants in rebellion against God. Look again what Christ says. You want to do the desires of your father. So God is going to hold every man or woman accountable before him. Those who reject his mercy and grace through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, will receive a just and eternal punishment due their eternal error. You want to do the desires of your father. John, in 1 John 3 and 10, lays out a picture of the contrast between the children of God and the children of the devil. It's always seen by what they do. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as God is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. By this, the children of, the, of, the, of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. And now there are two sins, as we get close to the end here, two sins that Jesus is going to rebuke these guys with, his enemies with, two characteristics of their father, two characteristics of the devil, two that are the most opposite to the character and the mind of God, that being murder and lying. 
You are of your father the devil. You want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. It's a reference to the fall. Or Satan's temptation of Adam and Eve brought about the spiritual death of the entire human race, which led to the physical death of the entire human race. And that wickedness and that rebellion and that evil that Satan introduced into the human race has again been with all of Adam's offspring throughout all of human history. All the way up and including the murder of God's own son. Beyond that, even into our day, wages of sin is death. Everyone dies. Their hatred for Christ, their desire to murder him, the fact that they will actually carry out that plot proves again who their true spiritual father really is. And again, the two great evil marks, the two great evil desires that mark the characteristic of Satan is murder and lying. Satan's not only a murderer, but he's the father of lies. You are your father the devil. You want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So it was the father of lies who took this war against God and his rebellion against God into the garden and convinced Eve that God cannot speak clearly. That perhaps you did not understand him. He told her a convincing lie. You shall surely not die if she would just obey God or just disobey God. If she would just disobey God, she would not die, which led the entire ruin of the entire human race. It's kind of crazy when you stop thinking about it. Go back in the garden. What did man and the woman have? Answer, everything. Everything. They had true freedom. They walked in close, intimate communion with God, and they listened to the lies of the deceiver, and that liar took them, their entire family, and the entire race of mankind into rebellion, sin, death, many towards eternal punishment. They had true freedom, and they gave it away for bondage because they didn't believe the word of the living God who they walked with in the cool of the day. Even today, Satan goes around, he disguises himself cleverly as an angel of light, as it says in 2 Corinthians 11. And because of that initial rebellion against God and his word, the human race now reaps what it has sown from the very beginning, right? as men have rejected and abandoned the word of God. Every single issue, I guarantee you, every single issue of craziness that we're faced in this culture with is in absolute opposition to what the Word of God says. God made them male and female. Period. In the paragraph. All of the confusion... God made one man for one woman. All of that confusion, all of the the problems, all of the the heartache comes from a rejection of the word of God. And because men have rejected the word of God, we were talking about this this morning in the elders meeting, right? In return, by way of judgment, God has abandoned us. When your brain is about to explode by the things you keep seeing in the culture, you need to understand where we're at. (laughs) I use the analogy, we're in the fourth quarter, We're somewhere towards the end of the game. I don't know exactly what, but we're not in the first quarter, not in the first half. We're in the fourth quarter. We're getting closer to the end of the game. And because we have rejected the word of God, God, by way of judgment, has abandoned us. Romans 1, he has given us over to the lust of our heart to impurity. He has given us over to degrading passions. He has given us over to depraved minds to do those things which are not proper. It's the wrath of abandonment. And as you look around, again, understand where you are, again, somewhere in the fourth quarter, it's evidence of the fact that we are a nation that is under the active judgment of God himself. Make no mistake about it. That's where we are. And it's too late. We're not turning it back. The good old days are gone. 
We are under the active judgment of God himself. Book of Isaiah, we have, men, we have women and children ruling over us. We have inept princes making decisions that are irrational because they have depraved minds. The mind doesn't work right. Men, because they've rejected the truth, they don't have a love of the truth to be saved, they will believe anything and everything except the truth. You can talk to them about the most absurd or grotesque things. They'll believe that. They'll be interested. You can talk to them about aliens. They'll be interested. You can talk to them about evolving from monkeys. You can tell them there's no God. They can be their own God. Do whatever they want. Create their own reality. Never face uh, punishment after death. Do your own thing. Be your own God. And they'll listen to that. You can tell them that they can work their way to heaven by their own good efforts, by their good deeds. You can talk to them on any kinds of subjects like these, but they're all lies, and men will listen because they have an interest in lies. They have no interest in the truth. Men love lies over the truth, just like their father, who is a liar and the father of lies. But you start speaking to them about the truth, about death and sin and the judgment to come. You start speaking to them about God sending his own dear son into the world to be the only substitute to bear the wrath of God against man's sin and against their own sin. You start talking to them about, about, about repentance and faith in Christ as their only hope to escape the coming wrath of God. If you talk to them about the fact that they're dead in their trespasses and sins and that eternal life is a gift of God, not by works, but a gift... And that eternal torment is a reality for those who reject and refuse God's gift of grace. Men won't believe that. They'll refuse to believe that. They'll become angry with you. They might want to even harm you. They might become so angry with you, they might even want to murder you. Why? Because ever since our first parents rejected rejected God's truth and fell, believing the devil's lies, man has been completely under the power and the influence of falsehood, rejecting the truth. The old adage is like father, like son. You're of your, devil, you're of your father, the devil. You want to do the desires of your father? Is a murder from the beginning. He doesn't stand to the truth. There's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. He's a liar, the father of lies. That's every man, that's every woman apart from Christ. Verse 45, but I speak the truth. But I speak the truth and you do not believe me. Again, the children of the father of lies are unable and unwilling to hear the truth. A lot of people like that, even in our day. Oh, don't you fool yourselves. They're not just outside the church. Whatever that in the world, whatever in the world that is. They're in the church. 2 Timothy 4 3, a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. They will turn their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. That's the world in which we live. Like father, like son. The Lord concludes this uh, section with a challenge to his opponents. It's really two rhetorical questions. Verse 46, which, of you, which one of you convicts me of sin? Long pause, no answer. Which of you convicts me of sin? Again, the answer is no one. And because that is true, because there is no offense that can be laid to his account, then if I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? If he was not guilty of sin, and he is not, that must mean that the things that he's speaking is the truth, and it is. Therefore, what grounds do you have for not listening? What grounds do you have for rejecting? The answer is they have no legitimate grounds. The reason they can't hear what Christ is saying, the reason they don't believe, verse 47, he who is of God hears the word of God for this reason you do not hear because you're not of God. Only two kinds of people in the world. Those who belong to the family of God, those who belong to the family of Satan. 
And you're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. That's true about everybody in the world. That's true about everybody who's listening to me in this room via the live stream or in the room behind me. Everybody who's listening to my voice. The Jewish religious leaders have a false security for their eternal life, falsely thinking that they are the children of God, when the truth is they're really the children of the devil. And unless they repent, they're going to be doomed to share the same eternal punishment in hell as their father, Satan, will endure. And that's true of anyone who trusts anything other than the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone for their standing before God in heaven. And because that is true, and the stakes are so high, as people's eternal destinies are at stake, the truth has to be shared. And then the question has to be asked, whose family do you belong to? Who really is your father? Don't be deceived. Believe the, tr- believe the truth. Because the truth will what? Set you free. Our Father and our God, we're thankful for your eternal truth. We're thankful for the truth that you have such a tremendous love for this world that you sent Christ into this world, that those who would believe upon Christ would not perish but have life eternal. We're thankful of the fact that you sent Christ into the world not to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. We're thankful for the truth that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and salvation is an utterly free gift through your Son, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're thankful for that truth. Oh, Lord, help us to be lovers of your word, lovers of Christ. Help us to be uh, faithful, to be strong, to share truth firmly but graciously with those who are still blind to the reality of who Christ is. Help us to evaluate ourselves properly by your word, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.